On the Empire Podcast this week, we're graced by two graceful directors. Jean-Pierre Chunet swings by to talk about his new film, T.S. Spivet, while Amma Asante is a bell of the pod ball by talking about her new film, Bell, plus the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that drew Algeria in the World Cup off a sweepstake. We might as well have formed our own bloody team. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast this week to mark the beginning of the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. We're landing up in a unique 4-0-0 formation with overlapping potters. First up is a lady who's renowned for her dragon back skills, drag back skills, in midfield, and her will to win, Chester. It's Helen O'Hara. Wow. Next up's a skilled and artful defender who insists on watching all football games with the subtitles turned on because it makes Andy Townsend more comprehensible. It's Phil DeSimlian. Hello. Hello. I've got Austra- Australia. Australia in the uh, in the sweepstake. Do you want to swap? Costa Rica are still available. I think if you want if you want them. Helen, did you go for the sweepstake? I didn't. No. No. Okay. I didn't know enough to feel like I. You know. It's just putting your hands into a hat and pulling out some names. Well, like, I mean, I don't want to care about it, so I figured this way I definitely won't. You'd be no fun at like the tombola at the fair. I don't know enough <laughs> to do this. I need more I information. I just don't have. What am I doing here? What's the point? <laughs> I'm just going to put my hand in and pull something out, am I? What is it, though? Who knows? Give me some information. Give me a brochure. Uh, anyway, moving on swiftly. Uh, last but not least is a whirling dervish of energy up front. Watch out, though. Get too close, and he'll go full Suarez on your arse. Or or arm. It's Ali Plum. He doesn't get that reference. You're going to have to explain to me why I'm a pervert or something? Not a pervert. You just you like to bite people. There's nothing wrong with it. On the bum. Give in to it. What's going on? I don't know what's happening This anymore. is wasted on these guys. Welcome, everybody. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, welcome. Uh, let's discuss the questions to which you guys have been sending to us all week long, like an unstoppable creepy Paddington. After the Edge of Tomorrow slash All You Need Is Kill situation, where Edge of Tomorrow, which is a quite dull and nondescript title, replaced All You Need Is Kill, which is the complete opposite. Uh, what are your favourite and worst film titles? I like La Haine for grammar reasons. What? What does that mean? Why? What, what, yeah, because it reflects the gender of the word. Well, the hate is female. Yeah, so he likes it because they use... No, I don't. Let's not put words in his mouth. But anyway, yes. Favourite or worst film titles? If has four dots after it. Yes. that I always think... I always wonder about that. It has four, a four-dot ellipsis. Why? Yeah. Why? I, Why if? That is such an interesting question. I, I wrote the review for the Blu-ray re-release recently and I wanted to find out that's just a bad bit of storytelling isn't it because I didn't find out <laughs> I thought I would try and find out but I didn't know who to ask so I just got on wrote the review and didn't mention it but I would love to know why there's four dots in that ellipsis and sometimes you see it with three and I always, uh, always have a bit of a uh, moment and worse Who Friend Roger Rabbit has no question mark if it had a question mark that would be one of the great titles as it is it's just really upsetting maybe uh, Who is the person who framed Roger Rabbit so maybe it's a statement rather than a question wow that is that is a, a, a theory that mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave. Okay, so my favourite titles uh, would be, generally speaking, I was I was writing some of them down, and they're generally slightly long-winded um, and slightly weird. Um, Back to the Future is uh, probably the shortest and most famous example, but that used to bake my noodle as a kid. I was like, I don't understand how you can go back to the future. That's crazy. Of course, then I saw the film and it all became clear. I like sort of slightly mysterious titles for my thrillers uh, things like The Third Man or Hidden uh, I think are good titles and then I like just weird ones The Man with One Red Shoe The Man in the White Suit The Long Kiss Goodnight The Long Good Friday mm. um, and I Know What You Did Last Summer I think is a great title pity about the film uh, and Heathers uh, just at the short end of the spectrum that's a that's a weird title but one that always struck my interest even when I had no idea what the film was about I like Bad Day at Black Rock that's a good, that's a good mm. one Picnic at Hanging Rock 
That's another good one. Basically, you put rock in your title. I will like it. The Rock. The Rock. Yes, love it. How many Mads are there in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World? Officially, how many are there? Four, I think. Four. It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Okay, let's go with that. I love in Bruges, and if I can channel Graham Garden here, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Oh yes, yes. Is bitter taste of artichokes? Is that an actual film? No, that's an office joke that somebody made up. <laughs> okay, because I think I like. But that. the Tree of Wooden Clogs is an actual film. Yes, that's one of my least top ten films. I like Danger Diabolique, Ace in the Hole. Oh yeah. Some like it hard. Yes. These are good. Why is it called Some Like It Hard? Well, some like it hot. Is she actually says the line in the film? Also, nobody's perfect. Absolutely, which is another film. God, this is all feeding into itself. Full Metal Jacket is is good. I think that was one Kubrick Kubrick found because it's based on the, the short, short timers, timers right? Yes. By Gus Gus Halford, is it? But he didn't like that, and so he just he was flicking through some sort of gun. I think he was subscri- must have been a subscriber to Guns and Ammo, but he just found this term and he quite liked it, and it, it fits so perfectly. Die Hard's a good title. The the book that uh, Die Hard is based on is called Nothing Lasts Forever. It's not a good book. But Die Hard's a much better title than that. Both of those and several others are actually in a feature on the website at the moment, which is about books that had their titles changed for the big screen. Oh, really? Um, so those are just two of the examples. I mean, you can guess lots of the others that are in there, obviously. Um, but things like uh, Tangled and Frozen as well. All the Philip K. Dick ones, pretty much. Uh-huh. Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. Never seen the film, but it's a cracking title. Also, Don't Be a Menace to South Central. <sighs> while drinking your juice in the hood <laughs> which sounds so great coming out of my mouth uh, and then of course Before the Devil Knows You're Dead uh, which I rewatched recently for um, reasons that are probably obvious There Will Be Blood it just it's so useful for punning There Will Be Flood was the title of our Noah feature so at least there's that Fight Club Death Proof Doctor Strange Love and Lockstock I, lo- I love titles that uh, as with Die Hard they were changed from originals the original just wouldn't have been as good I love The Shawshank Redemption, which is obviously based on a Stephen King novella, which is called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. There's no the, there's no definite article there. It's just Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. And I just don't think that would have uh, flown somehow. Uh, but, you know, the original title of Alien, as written by Dan O'Bannon, was Star Beast. Can you imagine people going to see a film called Star Beast? It just it doesn't, doesn't trip off the tongue for me. Alien is just so perfect. Star Beast Resurrection, Star Beasts. <laughs> yes. It doesn't sound quite as good. Star Beasts to the Power of Three. Yeah, Star Beast versus Dreadlocked Alien Thingy. Promethe Beast. I'm yeah. never quite sure who decides when we translate a film title and when we don't. Like, mm. is it a Buddha souffle or, or or Breathless? Or about a souffle. Or about a, or about a souffle. Is the sequel like to call about a void that everyone loves. <laughs> yeah, about a, about a souffle. <laughs> is it sort of souffle rather than souffle? A Buddha souffle. I don't know. Does I, a bit of souf, a bit of souf? Because Das Boot would be no good if you just went around. Have you seen the boat? It's great. Yeah, just, that doesn't work. Doesn't really. Have you seen the boot? I like Plein Soleil is something that you would see a hundred times before you'd ever go and see something called Purple Noon, yeah. which is how it was released in this country. Yeah. So there's something to be said for keeping it sometimes, in, and and even hidden or cachet. You know, I think I'd go for the original French title. What about case. other grammatical blunders like Star Trek Into Darkness, which is still weird? and Two Weeks Notice with no apostrophe and Ladies Man with no apostrophe and The 40-Year-Old Virgin without out enough hyphens. 30 minutes or less. Law, should have been 30 minutes or fewer. Or Law-Abiding Citizen, which doesn't have an apostrophe. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean hyphen. It's just, this is a surprisingly long list. Interesting enough, maybe tell him, tell that at school. It's quite interesting. Last month, we ran a surface report on Monsters uh, Dark Continent, which is the, uh, the sequel, the follow up, really, to Gareth Edwards' Monsters. As we were going to press, I noticed that uh, we'd put it through. It was in my section. So it was going through as Monsters Dark Continent, all running onto each other, no colon. It wasn't Monsters, colon, Dark Continent. And I went, this, hang on, this is weird. And, and Dan, who wrote the feature, went, no, that's what the film company want. And I went, no, th- it looks weird. Can you let them know that we think this looks weird? And so Dan got in touch with them and said, this doesn't doesn't look right. And as a result, they changed it. <laughs> they changed it to Monsters, colon, Dark Continent. It's now Monsters too. So now that's the, that's the power of Empire, people. We can change a film's name. Duck Soup's a good one. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of Duck Soup. Great title. I wondered, though, lastly, the uh, Jules Jim. Why is it Jules Jim and not Jules Jim a... The other one. The other one. The patriarchy. Yeah. I, that was specifically set up for Helen to finish with that <laughs> word patriarchy. Here we yes. Go. All right. I okay. got patriarchy in the sweepstake for this podcast. Really? Yeah, so I clear up. Drinking game. Okay, that's your question answered, uh, John C. N. Harris. As ever, this is not an exhaustive list. We're coming up with this stuff off the top of our heads. Uh, here we go. Question from at Tony Spurs 81. I wonder who he supports. Uh, question for next week's show, as in this week's show, best football films. Hooray! Excluding hooligan ones. Boo. He says, Escape to Victory? Maybe he was just asking me if I wanted to Escape to Victory, but I think he was suggesting Escape to Victory. It's a film about everything. Oh, crikey, there aren't that many great football films, are there? No. If we're honest. No. I don't think there are any. Once you get past gold and gold two, living mm. the dream. But yeah, Escape to Victory does tend to... I do weep when I watch that. The music, even the music just sets me off. And um, Pele's overhead kick and the Ozeldiles. Scorp- not Scorpion kick. He does this, that the flick over there. Yeah. yeah. And you spent about half an hour trying to persuade him to do it again at yeah. the photo shoot. Yeah. But he pointed out that if he did try and do it again, like one of his legs might fall he off. He would die. But yeah. you were like, never mind that, Was he going with it. Yeah. Um, we can rebuild you. Yes, exactly. Goal, no. Bed knobs and broomsticks has a cracking football match. It does. Subsea tick attacker. It does. It does. That's all I've got on football. Otherwise, yeah, there's not really an awful lot. Um, I think, Helen, you're actually going to come in and weigh on this one because yeah. I don't think uh, there aren't any great football films. The way there are great baseball films and great American football films. and Next goal wins. Bend it like Beckham is actually better than a lot of it football is. movies. And it I is. know it has a, a its reputation has kind of gone downhill since it came out and everybody went nuts for it. But yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. I think sometimes the most, the least fun sports to watch in real life unless you're more upset, you know, more worried about the, the hot dogs and the uh, the accoutrements of the sport. And uh, make the better films to watch on on screen, uh, weirdly. There are endless great basketball and, um, yeah, and baseball movies, as you say, and, like, hardly any for any of the great sports here. Tennis as well. No great tennis movies. Don't give me Wimbledon. Really, please don't. Um, Space Jam, are you saying? I'm not saying Space Jam, no. For basketball. But, but the likes of Hoop Dreams. Coach Carter is a perfectly decent film. Basketball is perhaps not the best. There are example. good documentaries about football. Great. Uh, yeah, there are some good documentaries. There was a very good one about the New York Cosmos a few years back. Yep. There's been there's this new FIFA one, which sounds like it's actually a feature film, isn't it, about the... the it's a sort of set blatter origin story. Oh, that story. one. That, yeah, that, <gasps> I think that it's sounds like, awful. It's we, like the Darth Maul kind of backstory. Yeah, we can, we can safely say... 
Sight unseen that that film. Have you seen the trailer? Yes. It's so bad. I want to watch it's it and I think so we should bad. review it on this podcast. Uh, did um, When Sam Neill was in, did we ask him about that? Sadly, no. Sorry. We didn't? Oh, okay. no. Is he in it? Because he he's, uh, he's plays uh, Xiao Havalanche, who is the, uh, the sort of, I think, one of the founders of FIFA or one of the, the big noises of FIFA before a set ladder. Uh, but yeah. I'd also like to put in a word here for, uh, I wouldn't say this is a great football movie. Please don't think that I, I did. But she's the man. Uh, has Amanda Bynes pretend to be her own twin brother so that she can go and play football with Channing Tatum at a at a private school. And what's fascinating to me about this film is that his his lessons and her ambition is to master the the windmill or the bicycle kick, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what it's called, um, which in this universe is an essential component of any football player's skills. I just remember the greatest football film of all time. Yeah. Charlotte Soccer. Okay, yeah, fair. And that's it. And we're done. But the problem with football is very hard for actors to move like world-class football players. It's almost impossible, actually. They're, those guys are on a different level to everyone else. And we're so used to seeing it through this this very particular prism. You know, football is presented to us in a very, very defined way, televisually, every mm. week. It's the same shot, whatever you are, whichever stadium you are, is high up. One largely fixed shot, occasionally some close-ups. And when directors like to mess with it and they make it more cinematic and they get like to get the camera in very up close and mm. players are moving around there's lots of CG and tricks and flicks you get no sense of the geography of the game you get no sense of where players are in relation to each other if I look at uh, you know any football film or any football advert for example the, the recent Nike advert that got a lot of praise but uh, the, that, that advert always takes me out of the advert in a way because the CG is so dreadful uh, you know the fact that you can tell the players weren't really with each other they weren't in the same pitch at the same time so clearly some of them are on the green screen mm. and they're just comped into the uh, into the background later on it just doesn't work no F- football unlike boxing which is obviously close in and needs people punching football is a team game it's 22 players on a pitch and you need to be aware at all times where players are in that, relation I think to that's each other. right it is a game of geography and about you know about positioning and about spatial awareness in the way that boxing probably isn't which is a close combat kind of thing like martial arts mm. you can depict more easy but where you put the camera in the football it's impossible to get the camera in the right place I, I went out to, on the set of Pele a film they were going to make in time for the World Cup but didn't quite get done um, in time for the World Cup as <laughs> which you can imagine one- we'll be talking about it now it's, in the review section it's a wonderful metaphor for the Brazilian World Cup isn't it yeah, <laughs> everything's a little bit yeah. not quite finished a little bit it was shot in Rio about Pelé's sort of origin story for Pelé and it ends up with the World Cup in Stockholm which was what 50 what year was that 58, 58 exactly um, and yeah we should be reviewing it this week but it didn't quite come together in time but I watched them playing and they got professional footballers Brazilians I mean really gifted footballers and even then it's just like you've got to move the ball move so slowly and they were trying to do the same move over and over again and it just feels so kind of like rigid and regimented in a way that football is more fluid and what have you uh, I've just remembered the second greatest football movie of all time uh, Finney Jones's uh, Me Machine in which Jason Statham sports the worst Scottish accent what's in the it, history of his movies name? he's the monk he is the monk he's the monk and Danny Dyer's in it as well I think and I was on set of that movie it just literally just came back to me I was on set it was one of the first things I ever did for Empire and I was on set and I got to watch them do a football match do, do a football uh, I got to watch the Stath in goals the first time I ever met the state. It's a glorious memory for both of us, I'm sure. Uh, it was, uh, you know, jumping around, leaping around like he'd never seen a goalkeeper <laughs> before in his life. It was an exquisite, glorious day. I got to talk to Finney Jones, a man who broke my heart in 1988. But anyway, that's another tale for another time. There's football um, at the beginning of Battleship, that terrible film Battleship. Oh, that's right. Yeah. With an overhead kick. Yeah, they love that in America. 
that honestly every football scene in, in an American film seems to feature that kind of yeah. you know, whatever that's called that kick my favourite thing about the World Cup leaving movies aside is my mum who's American and she loves she loves watching she doesn't really understand football particularly but she just I mean she always talks about like the guy in goal is like the cage tender <laughs> Who's the guy in cage for England? It's that guy from Shampoo Adverts, isn't it? And she'll be like, oh, he's on the bike. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's on the bike. Score. Amazing. Amazing. Anyway, so that's going to be great. Love you, Mum. Okay, so that's uh, Tony Spurs 81's question answered. Uh, and now let's have a question that Ali, who's just been staring at us for the last 10 minutes, might actually be able to contribute to. This is from at Piha Jess, who asks, I need a film-related name for my new cat. Currently, Chewbacca and R2 is on the list. Suggestions, please. Donny, as in shut the fuck up, Donny. <laughs> Satanico Pandemonium. Uh-huh. Oh, that's good for a cat. Rizzo, as in Rizzo the Rat. Yeah. The Bride. Yes. And finally, Pussy Galore. Yes, obvious, but good, good. Uh, from Dusk of Dawn's pretty fertile, isn't it? You could call your cat sex machine and get away with it. I think that'd be okay. I think that'd be wrong. I would suggest um, Toothless or Stitch, mm-hmm. both of whom have cat-like qualities. I like Cyrano and Fezzik, because it sounds fuzzy. Oh, If it was a big cat, that would fit really well. Aww. The cat in The Cat in The, the Long Goodbye it was actually called, not in the film, but it was actually called Chauncey Scratchit. Really? Yes. That's so, amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And um, I met someone last night whose dog is called Zizu, and I think that's quite a cool name, and he said it would be okay for that, for um, PRJS. Potentially to use uh, that for the cat if they'd like. I think Zizu's quite a cool name for a cat. I think Pazuzu's a good name for a cat as well. Zool. <laughs> yeah, Zool, also good. What yeah. about Deja Vu off The Matrix? What about Deja Vu of the Matrix? What about Deja Vu of the Matrix? I do like it though. I do like it though. Hope we helped there, uh, PRJS. I think we could probably go on all day saying silly names for movies, but I think we gave you about. 85 million to choose sure. from there mm-hmm. so let us right in let us know what you um, what you went for I would go for soap soap just call it soap soap the cat from Lockstock oh that's not bad time now for our first guest uh, Jean-Pierre Chunet is the brilliant director of some of the most unforgettable and visually lavish films of the last 20 years from Delicatessen to Amelie he's back this week with T.S. Spivet his first fully English language movie since Alien Resurrection and we sent Phil and Helen along recently to speak to him no Absolutely. We. Oui. Well, welcome to the Empire Podcast, and we're joined today by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, so, your new film is the young and prodigious T.S. Spivet, um, which is a fantastic title uh, in itself. A little bit long. A little bit long. A little yeah. bit hard to pronounce sometimes. Yeah, but everybody will say Spivet. Yes. Like they said, Amelie. Exactly. Yeah. Which, yeah, which is a much longer title, which nobody yeah, uses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, this is a very American story. It's this, this kind of fantastical, you know, American, uh, a dream America, really, mm. like a dream of America. But And you made it completely outside the USA, which I find Yeah, really completely, yeah. Uh, but, you, uh, you know, you never avoid completely American. You have to, to deal with the American agent, the worst liar in the world. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but it's important for me. It's not an American movie. It's a fake American movie. It's a French and Canadian co-production why to keep the freedom that's the most important thing for me the freedom and uh, I made seven films including Alien Resurrection Alien was a parenthesis it was special it was a different role of the game but by the way I I am pretty proud about the film I kept the freedom somewhere because I stay positive they respect me of course I had to fight to struggle but it's my film I am proud about the film but the six French films 
I had the complete, complete, complete freedom. I never made any compromises. And I'm very proud about that. So the last one is the same. Even if it's supposed to be American, it's a French film. T.S. Bivid is, is, is adapted from a book by a novelist yes. called, forgive my pronunciation if I've messed it up, Rief, Rief Larson. Yes, is that Rief correct? Larson, yeah. And I saw an email that he sent where, where I guess the studio had asked him which directors he would like yeah, yeah, potentially yeah. to direct it. And your mm. name was obviously on a list with Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro. I think Wes Anderson David was on Fincher, there as well. Wes Anderson, yeah, Tim Burton. Yeah, five, five, Tim Burton. Yeah. Luckily, I was the first to, to call. <laughs> and uh, he couldn't believe him. He, he thought it was a joke. And yeah, we made a Skype and I explained, no, no, I really want to make the film. And it's funny because we are very close in terms of uh, spirit. When he saw Amelie, he told me I had the feeling someone scratched on my head. And uh, when we had the first meeting in New York, he gave me a gift. It was a, a photograph book. And I gave this book to my friend one week before. We had exactly the same feeling, you know. He could be my son somewhere. Oh. Yeah, he's so 30. He's very young. Was his writing inspired by your films? Yeah, a, a little bit, yeah. And it was in the book, it was a, uh, some details. Uh, I avoid to put it in the film because it was too close to Amelie. So I, cu I cut it. Really? Can you elaborate? Anything in particular that was... No, I don't remember, but some jokes, some uh, view on the world. It was exactly the spirit of Amelie. Please tell me, Jean-Pierre, that there will be a, a special... T.S. Spivet Viewmaster tie-in product I don't know can we get one of those that would be when amazing when we asked uh, Viewmaster to, to have the possibility to, to show it they said no and we said it's an homage you don't believe it <laughs> you don't understand it's an homage and they said yes at the end. it's at the beginning of the credits Yes, beautiful credit sequence in the, yeah, the yeah. film. Don't move, don't leave your seat. Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it drives me crazy when the theatre turns on the light during the credits. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask as well about uh, casting Helena Bonham Carter because I read that you met her on set of Fight Club. With, yes, with, exactly. Which you were shooting with David Fincher. So, yeah. I mean, how did you guys meet? Was that through the Alien connection? Yeah, 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 exactly. When I arrived in LA, I called uh, David and he told me, leave, run. <laughs> It was a nightmare to make Alien, but for him it was a real nightmare. For me it wasn't a nightmare, it wasn't, wasn't easy every day. But uh, Why was it a nightmare for him but not for you? Because, because when they started to shoot, they didn't add any script. So they built some sets and they didn't know if it could be possible to shoot inside. So it was a real nightmare. But he always talked about having studio executives on set all the time. Yes. Over yes. his shoulder. You must have had no, a similar... No, 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 no? I, no, no, no. I was free. They weren't here. No, no. I had uh, almost the complete freedom. But the pressure was much more for the money, strangely. Uh, less uh, less shot, less takes. Uh, one sh beautiful shot on free, it would be enough. All the time, they, you know, put the pressure for the, to save money. How was your relationship with uh, Joss Whedon, the, the, the screenwriter? Uh, Joss Whedon, at this time, he was very proud about the film when the, during the release, and now he split on the film <laughs> because he says he, he, he trison, trison, trison. It's uh, weird, yeah. <laughs> and it makes me laugh because, uh, you know, it's sexual, it's funny, 
and it's not enough stupid action movie. And now Joss Whedon does some stupid action movie with superhero. I couldn't watch it. It's too, too silly. I am very proud about that. In France, it was very well received. It was amazing. It was exactly the opposite. I was like the champions of the, of the <laughs> Olympic Games because I made a film in Hollywood. It was silly in another way because it was too much. It was just a sequel, guys. <laughs> you, were, you were linked with Harry Potter. How close did you come to to, to making a Harry Potter Yeah, it movie. was very serious because uh, Warner loved very long engagement. They produced it. And it was a meeting in Paris around the table in a good restaurant. And it was very serious. David Eman was here. And I, I had just to say yes. And they expected that. And I, instead that, I said, oh, I'm tired. I have to think. Let me give me one month to think. <laughs> you, you don't say that when they offer <laughs> Harry Potter. So after two weeks, they say, we need an answer. We need to start right now. And I said, right now I need vacation, guys, or I'm going to die. So, and I didn't feel like to make that. Why? Because everything was ready. The costume design, the production design, the casting, everything was on the table. You know, I had just to, to shoot. Yes. And I love to create a, a world to, to make the production design. I love that. Well, you know, they're making uh, this kind of Harry Potter spin-off set 70 years before. I mean, you could, you could maybe have a go at that. Uh, what uh, they're, they're they're making a Harry Potter kind of related film, a spin-off, uh-huh. which is set something like seventy or eighty years before Harry Potter, so like nineteen twenties mm-hmm. or something, and it's going to be wizards, but sort of jazz age. Okay, <laughs> three more Harry Potter movies with with the monsters and the creatures, no. and maybe a steampunk nineteen twenties. Really? Would you be interested? I I don't know. It depends on the script. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to ask about about Amelie. Uh, and the the news that it's going to be potentially a Broadway musical, um, I, I I know that it's not something that you immediately had a lot of fondness for that idea. Yeah, I hate. Is that there one. anything that that they could do that would win you over to to the idea of it? No, I refused during twelve years. Mm. I hate musical. I think that's the most tacky thing on earth. But at the end, uh, I I thought, do I have the right to refuse some money? Because with money, I can save kids. With um, um, some people, they made some art surgery operation, you know, for to save kids. So the money will be for that. If it's a success, if it's a flop, I will be. It will be a disaster. They, they, I gather, they, they're removing the the score, the the accordion music, and the Parisian yeah, motifs, and, and 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 having an American style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't care. I don't want to know anything. I, I told them, don't invite me. I, I don't want to see, I don't want to, to know anything. What about uh, Life of Pi as well? Because I was reading an interview with you where you were, you were actually referring to it as mm-hmm. my, last, my last film yeah, because yeah. you got so far down the road yeah. that you know, it was like... Yeah, just it was too expensive. They didn't want to spend more than $60 million and the budget was 85. So they offered me to produce the film myself. We made some research in Europe in Studio Alicante in Spain. We study the Waze machine. We make location scouting in India. I made the whole storyboard. Four months, you know, a big, huge work. And uh, we were at uh, 59 million. But in Euro, in Euro dollar, it was exact, exactly the same thing. So I gave up. I said, okay, now I, I have to, to shoot two years, you know. And they, they, I, I told them in three years, if you are waiting three years, we will be able to make the, the tiger in CGI. And they did, but with Angli. And they spent $150 million. Wow. 
Wow. But Taiwan pay half of the film. This is a secret. Because Ang Lee is friend with the president of the Republic of Taiwan. <laughs> it's not my case. <laughs> I don't know him. You're not friends with any presidents? No, no. <laughs> But uh, he made a, a, a great work. The, the part in, in the ocean, it's great because he had so much money. But the adaptation is a copy-paste of the book. And our adaptation was a real adaptation. I think it was much better. Yeah, the ending of, of Ang Lee's Life of Pi, people said that it was a little spelt out in, in terms of yeah. the fact that it had been a big metaphor. Yeah. Was yours, how, how was yours yeah, different? Yeah, but we, we made something clever because we had the doubt because it was a concept in the novel. But in the middle of the film, the, the kid, Uh, the tiger lose um, a, a nail not a nail a, a, a claw a claw and uh, at the end the old man opened a letter with the claw so you know it was true a true story oh. it was a small detail it was a good idea yeah. Yeah. wow what is next for you then do you know yet uh, for the next I'm thinking about something less expensive it's possible because now with the crisis it's getting difficult and uh, something maybe in the future Science fiction, less expensive. Can you believe, believe it? Wow, <laughs> that is unbelievable. And maybe with Elena one more time. Wow. Yeah. You started out uh, studying animation yeah. and you made some animation short movies. Yeah. Have you ever been tempted to, because I know Pixar is, is, is a studio you, you yeah. admire very much. Yeah. Have you ever been tempted to do a feature length animation? I met a guy, he won this year uh, the Oscar for a French animation short film. He's a French And he wants to work with me, so I'm going to help him. I don't know exactly in which way, mm. but uh, I try to help him yeah, to make a feature. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, can you give us any, any of the kind of themes or, or, or subject matter? Look at, at the short film, M oh, Monsieur Hublot. Oh, I see. So it would yeah, be a yeah. feature-length version yeah, of that? Yeah, and uh, it, it will be in the same spirit. I was going to ask, because I know you went sort of, you, you described it as going on pilgrimage to the set of, was it NYPD Blue? When you yeah, yeah, the yeah. States one. yeah, yeah. So, so is, is that the, the show that you would go on pilgrimage to? No, 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 number one is Breaking Bad for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, some people ask me why you don't make a TV show, but I think to write one film, it's a, a big deal for me, but to write 60 of 70 films, I, I don't know how they do. Of course, they have some teams, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a nightmare for me. <laughs> Before we let you go, I just wondered, I mean, your films are known for, they're, they're um, decorated with amazing props and amazing mm -hmm. kind of Heath Robinson contraptions and, mm -hmm. and there's so much kind of fun um, devices and, and, and production design. Do you, do you keep the things that, I mean, would you have a, the, the sea dog figure, for instance? Yes, yes, from, Do you keep all of those things? I in keep a, all objects. My, my office in Paris, in Montmartre, is a kind of museum about myself. <laughs> I have everything, the, the alien, the lamping of Amélie, uh, the beautiful wooden end in the long engagement, uh, some, a lot of stuff, yeah. And when are you going to open that to the public? Yeah. I would like to make an exhibition one day, but in France, they don't care. <laughs> really? I have some proposition from Melbourne, from uh, Sao Paulo, but it's far. I don't want to lend my stuff during two years. It's too far. You can come here. Yeah, here it's, it's pretty close. Bad, but I have no proposition. <laughs> Okay, okay, there you, you go. Have, yeah. <laughs> any, any museums? I have so know. many objects. It's rare. Usually in an exhibition, it's paper, photograph, uh, poster. I have so many objects. And we could see your life of pie, at least in storyboard form. Yeah, the, I have the whole storyboard and the model. We built a model with a kid and the, the tiger, like for an animation film. I took maybe 3,500 pictures. 
and we redraw everything. Uh, huge work, huge work. Wow. Oh, amazing. Well, yeah. fingers crossed that that will one day happen, and thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Jean-Pierre Chunet, done. He's in the bag, out the way. Let's talk about movie news. What we got? What happened this week in the world of Hollywood? Helen. Well, after all the toing and froing last week about Ant-Man, uh, the situation has been somewhat uh, solidified, um, clarified, and generally fied. Our situation has not improved. Well, perhaps. I mean... It depends on your viewpoint, I guess. The news this week is that Peyton Reed will direct Ant-Man. And Adam McKay, who had previously said he would not be directing, is nevertheless doing a rewrite on the script. So he's presumably going to funny up whatever script they now have um, and and try and make it, I guess, more fun, um, one, one would hope. Now, Peyton Reed is the man who's best known for kind of comedy of a slightly, uh, generally offbeat sensibility. Um, Down With Love, which I think is a great film. Mm -hmm. Yes Man, which was fine. I didn't love as much. Um, But it isn't his first flirtation with superheroes. He was down to direct the original Fantastic Four. And the idea, I think at that point, was it was going to be a sort of swinging 60s kind of rather groovy take on the Fantastic Four in the way that Down With Love was, which actually would have been a really interesting idea. So if he brings some of that kind of Mm -hmm. flavour to this, we we could be on to something here. Did he bring it on as well? Or am I just... uh Making that up. No, he did, yeah. He did. Okay. Yeah. And that's um, fun. Yeah. So, you know, people are ragging on this choice largely because there's still a lot of uh, soreness over the Edgar Wright situation. Absolutely. Um, you know, but I, I guess Marvel have to move on at some point. We all have to move on with our lives at some point. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. He's probably one of the better choices of the people that, who were linked with this afterwards. Adam McKay would have been fine, I think. Uh, for whatever reason he chose not to take it but but do the rewriting gig okay fair enough uh, Ruben Fleischer whose stock has fallen dramatically for me uh, so on that was great uh, 30 minutes or less sorry fewer uh, was not was pretty bad and Gangster Squad was awful so I'm glad he didn't get the job and and Ross and Marble, uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber I don't know mm. doesn't at least at least Peyton Reed has some visual flair some uh, Down With Love is a really fun film looks really nice yeah. very sar- sappy sharp script um, and so I think he could handle it as well I I just it's it's it, Edgar Wright's such a, a big loss in this project but yeah, he is. who knows what happened who knows what the other thing is that they uh, released a, an official synopsis for the film um, which now goes Armed with the astonishing ability to shrink in scale but increase in strength, con man Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd, must embrace his inner hero and help his mentor, Dr. Hank Pym, who's of course Michael Douglas, protect the secret behind his spectacular Ant-Man suit from a new generation of towering threats. Against seemingly insurmountable obstacles, Pym and Lang must plan and pull off a heist that will save the world. So there's been a bit of criticism of that. Um, I know that Marvel likes to kind of mix up their genres with every superhero movie so that it's not just a superhero movie, it's something else. Of course, we had the sort of paranoia thriller with Captain America. We had the kind of big sci-fi with Thor um, and Guardians indeed as well. Um, This one is a heist film, it seems. So Cool. I mean, yeah, sounds good to me. Ant-Man's actually well suited to pulling off heists because he's a little tiny little guy. Uh, But yeah, I, I don't know. Uh... Fingers crossed that this one is is fine. Marvel have had lots of problems with movies before in production and managed to pull it out of the fire. This one's obviously a little bit more public than most, uh, but you know I wish I wish them all the best. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's sad not to feel it. You know, there is an overwhelming sense of sadness we won't get to see uh, Edgar Wright's vision 
Definitely. But uh, yeah, let's see what happens. Anyone else? For, any more for any more? What else have we got? Well, do you know how successful the Super Mario Bros. movie was? Uh, uh, let me just look it up in my Google calculator. And you know Very how successful. good uh, Need for Speed went. Hang oh, on. I'm yeah. just doing that as well. Uh, yeah, also very successful. So they're doing Sonic the Hedgehog movie. In news that's just come in from, yep, 20 years ago, <laughs> they're making a Sonic the... Yes, Sonic the Hedgehog movie about everyone's favourite blue, very fast hedgehog uh, <laughs> and his his bifurcated tailed pal, Tails. Yes, yes, he's a fox. I'm told he's a fox. Uh, yeah, so they're making not just a movie but a franchise out of, uh, out of uh, Sega's mascot, uh, the plan is to make several films. Uh, it will be a mixture of live action and animation and will probably do really, really well. It's got a huge international appeal, this character, and uh, I get where they're coming from. I think they're seeing what happened with the Smurfs and they want to do something similar. There is a whole roster of characters in the uh, Sonic world who I do like um, as far as they go. Knuckles was always my favourite. Uh, and I think people who, who played the crossover games on the Wii, where you could play, for example, uh, the Olympics uh, with both the Sega characters and the Nintendo characters and the TV shows that have gone on for years and years and years, mean that he's still part of the pop pop culture. There's a great game called Sonic uh, All-Stars Racing Reborn, which I love, and that, that did really well, kind of another Mario Kart clone, mm-hmm. but not for Nintendo. He's still about, he's still loved, he still looks cool, he has flashy red sneakers, mm-hmm. but... There hasn't been a good run on game to film adaptations if, lately, but maybe this one will pass muster. If you're a hedgehog, where would you want to be going for casting? I mean, How about uh, Dave Spikey? Do you need to be a Sonic Hedgehog, or will they train you to get... Well, that is just his name. I... He does break the Sonic barrier sometimes when he's spinning really fast. Uh... What I'm thinking is they should make a Lord of the Rings spin-off, because obviously Sonic needs rings. So it's going to be him and Knuckles. Knuckles carrying him up Mount Doom. And then lobbing him in a volcano with that little face of his going, uh, and then everyone's saved, I guess. Why is he blue? Is he naughty? Dude, he's dude, dude, really sad. Don't. That's. that's not... I feel like today's podcast is really dividing us into the people who understand what the hell is going on and the people who have no clue. First we had soccer. Now we have Sonic. Oh, and, you know. Whoa, whoa, what did you just call it? First we have first we had football, and now we have Sonic. And either way, it's just right. distressing. I was going for alliteration. That's fine. Although you know, obviously, soccer is technically correct, but nevertheless, come on, Helen. Alliteration, Chris. Come yeah. on. Fish alliteration, ball. alliteration is awesome. Can I just say the uh, the Dave Spikey thing again? Because I thought that was quite clever. And the one, what happened? I said, he said, you said who would play Sonic the Hedgehog, and I said Dave Spikey from Phoenix Knights because he's spiky and no, hedgehogs. Who, who, who should he go for casting? Is what he Where said. Where should he oh, go right. for casting? Oh, right. You said Dave Spikey, and it was like, what? He's not an agent or a oh, casting manager. Well, maybe he is an agent these days. But I'm just saying, if you wanted someone to play Sonic the Hedgehog, but not not play as in the choice. Tri- Oh, oh no. let's move on. Moving uh, on to another blue thing. Yeah. Uh, Avatar. Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5. Keep no. going. Stop. No, Go stop. Back one. Stop, Go back one. stop at 4. Stop, stop at four. 4. 2, yeah. 3, and 4 have Sigourney Weaver aboard. Although, yes, she died in the love, in the first film. She's coming back as a different character. But we don't know who. But we do know that James Cameron says that Sigourney and I have a long creative history dating back to 1985 when we made Aliens. Um, and we're good friends. Oh, and that's a good point. It just feels right that she's coming back for the Avatar sequels. 
That's so that's nice. Her yeah. character of Grace Augustine, as fans know, and died in the first movie. And I suspect people that aren't necessarily fans probably know that as well because they watched they would have watched the movie and seen her dying. Um, so she's playing a different and in many ways more challenging character in the upcoming films. Now that's all we know really. She's look they're excited about working together. I again. think I think she should play Grace Augustine again, but in a weekend of Bernie's type situation. Oh, where no. literally they're just she's no. dead for the entire three movies and <laughs> and Jake and Natiri just have to like pull Operate her on strings. Her. And, and do stuff. Let's say no. I mean, like, this is an interesting one because we've already had Sam Worthington playing his own twin. That's the whole premise of the of the first movie. You then have Colonel Quaritch, who's already been announced to return for the sequel, despite having apparently died last time. And we've now got Sigourney Weaver. Now, of course, Sigourney Weaver's consciousness did, in, in theory, join <laughs> yes. Awa last time. Yes, it did. Remember? So she could be reborn as some kind of new thing on the planet uh, the fact that he says new characters suggests that's not the case to me but maybe but it must be it's the only logical way that she would have any business coming back maybe she is Mother Awa maybe she will play Pandora a weird crossover between Adrian Mole and, uh, and uh, <laughs> maybe she'll play Narvi Sonic that would be amazing as, as a fan of Supernatural you must know that nobody dies in these things. Not really. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing. But I'm guessing people have died in Supernatural and then come back to life uh, and then pe- died again and then come back to life People have again. died in Supernatural more than on any other show on TV and come back to life. Including the West Wing. Yes. More, anyway. Actually, genuinely, that I, I think that's probably right. There are more yeah. resurrections on Supernatural than any other show and I would I would be fascinated to hear if, if anyone thinks differently. Oh, that's so interesting. That's very interesting. Good question. Uh, but yeah, people people die and then you come back and it's going to be awesome. And we're all very excited about Avatar 2, 3, 4. And is that it? That's definitely it, isn't it? He's stopping at stopping 4. Yeah, four, we're, four. we're counting to 4. All right, excellent news. Is that it for movie news? Uh, there was a slight mention this week that um, Guillermo del Toro confirmed that the Pacific Rim sequel is still in development. He is now writing it with uh, Zach Penn. Uh, rather than Travis Beecham, who who wrote the original, Beecham's now working on like three different TV shows, um, so it isn't a, uh, isn't available. But um, but he's he's made it clear it's not going to be a prequel. It's going to be uh, he says very new, very crazy, really great spectacle. Um, but it doesn't have a green light yet. He's just working on the story. Um, the original didn't do quite that well, um, or quite as well as hoped in the US, but it did mm-hmm. do better worldwide. So it may be a go concern. So yeah could happen keep an eye out cool beans indeed and uh obviously uh if you are going to the edinburgh film festival which starts next week uh in edinburgh i believe there's a there's a thing called hero hangouts which is extended q a's with uh, some big big names up there uh from noel clark to don johnson elijah wood helen you're doing simon hilberg and jocelyn town his wife i am yes uh, which I'm very jealous of because I'm a huge Big Bang Theory fan and Eli Roth might be in the mix as well and there might be some more added as well we also have the uh, the uh, the big screening of uh, your greatest movie of all time and probably if we're honest ours as well uh, The Empire Strikes Back uh, a big big anniversary screening is going to be taking place up there with some very special guests as well uh, and don't forget of course The Empire Podcast is going live in Edinburgh June 24th from 3.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon. Yes, it clashes with the England game. Yes, I've only just found that out. But anyway, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to be fully committed. And uh, tickets for that are on sale now for all the Hero Hangouts and for the Empire Strikes Back screening. So, And that's available. You can get them through the Edinburgh Film Festival website, which is www.edfilmfest.org.uk. It's a .org. 
Mm. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, we'd love to see you there. We know that many of you have already bought tickets to come see us at the podcast, so we're, we're going to have some special guests from that one as well. It's going to be, as they say in Scotland, blinding. Uh, right, time now for a second interview. Ama Asante began her career as an actress in the likes of Grange Hill. But she didn't let that stop her. She had bigger fish to fry and turned her hand to directing a few years ago. Her second film, Belle, opens this week and tells the true tale of an illegitimate mixed-race girl who's raised as an aristocrat by her great-uncle in the 18th century. Asante popped in this week to have a good old natter with Phil and Ali. Enjoy. Tom, we're talking yeah. about Tom. Yeah, I mean, he's closer he's to what he really is. He's just so nice, so sensitive. So. And does he actually know any magic? Yes, he does. He, he does. Tom, yes. Tom Felton knows magic. Tom awesome. Felton knows magic. Tom Felton magicked Prince at our after after party a week ago. I was going to ask he? you about that. How? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Not about that specifically, but Prince at your after party—that's a pretty good get. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm still sitting in a place where I can't quite believe it happened. I'm kind of <laughs> like. You know, I was sitting in in a reception a few minutes ago and uh, Prince started playing on the radio, Purple Rain. And the reason why I don't have a voice now is because I was screaming it a week ago as he was singing it at our after party. And I'm going, this really happened. This really happened. Prince was like, I could literally touch him. And he said my name from the stage. (laughs) Amazing. My name has been in his mouth. <laughs> there were several people I saw on Twitter just going having one of those out of body experiences. It really was, you know, because it was also quite late in the day where he said, you know, I'd like to host a party. And do you think more people would come if I played? <laughs> oh my God, he came out. He's beautiful. Mm. He's absolutely beautiful. And he came out and he was kind of, yeah, he had this fro. And I was like, oh my God, he looks so cool. And guess what? He had a t shirt on with the painting that inspired our film it's so cool that's amazing did he play bat dance no he didn't as i remember he didn't play bat dance i wasn't drunk (laughs) but i was having an out-of-body experience and he played so many songs i don't remember him playing bat dance but he did say this is what he said do you know how many hits i have we could be here all night and we were like yes Uh, go on then (laughs) yes we're ready to stay here till six in the morning it was just that great i need to see a photograph of him wearing that of that shirt yeah we're all saying that i mean they asked us to not take photos and we all of course respected that so there is nothing that's tweetable done you mentioned the portrait that inspired bell somebody sent it to you on a postcard i believe is this going to spark a a sort of flurry of postcards of things coming through your letterbox of people wanting you to you know make their sort of <laughs> their holiday you know, resort into a movie you, or what have you. What I'm getting, rather than postcards and paintings, what I'm getting is lots of, oh, I've unearthed this story from 18th century, I don't know, Mongolia. Would you like to tell this story? And so I'm getting a lot of 18th century stories being told to me. And my agent has said, Emma, we will not have you as the director known as uh, uh, the filmmaker who makes women in bonnets, you know, who's only pointing a camera at women in bonnets for the whole time. I said there wasn't one bonnet in the movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this idea that, um, yeah, I mean, there is that thing that you kind of become locked in the idea that your movie of the moment is 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 kind of portraying you as. And that's why I'm going on to, to do something completely different, you know, completely contemporary and completely different after this. <laughs> It sounds very mysterious, this project. It's called Unforgettable, working title, because I know that you guys at Empire, (laughs) if you don't like the movie, the first line will be, this movie is so forgettable. (laughs) So we are going to not keep that title. I've begged them. It's Warner Brothers. It's a thriller. Um, It's 
it's a real fun piece. It's something I haven't written. I'm working, you know, as the director with a writer. And this is really great because um, it's just an interesting way to work the Hollywood system. And um, it's a double female lead. And A-list lead. The casting hasn't been announced yet, but I understand you have Oscar winners. Yes, that's quite right. Are they any of the following people? No. Meryl Streep. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. <laughs> the, the face, Not a thing. The face of stone. Do you is... want me to get fired before I even make my first Hollywood <laughs> of movie? Of course we don't want that to happen. For goodness sake. No. I mean, I have to go and make my name in Hollywood so that I can come back here and carry on with my independent films. This mm. is very important. But that's exciting. You've met these mysterious figures. I have. And... I have. I sit there and I have like dinners wow. with them and it's that's also surreal I have to say that is also surreal yeah and they're real people and they're real down-to-earth people and it's really really nice to kind of yeah get get a first-hand view of 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 what is what life is like when you're an Oscar-winning actress um and you're contemplating what your next movie is going to be and and the things that help them make that decision and then Prince turns up obviously halfway through and says do you mind if I play a few songs and you go sure I go, well, actually, there were a lot of swear words. A lot of good, positive swear words yeah. came out of my mouth. And um, <laughs> and then I didn't tell my sister. My sister was coming along to the premiere. And uh, I didn't tell her till the last minute that we were going on to the after party and, and Prince was playing. And she's rung me up every day since saying, I'm still pinching myself. I'm still pinching myself. But what's really great is when you get, you know, other like Twitter peeps, other Twitter celebs who are saying, my God, that that rocked. That was like, you really pulled it out the bag there. We just, we love that he loved the film and we love that he loved the film so much that he tweets about it. Yeah, that's a real power. That's a real power. You wrote, I understand, was it 17 draft iterations? I wondered if, if that was quite a yeah. big a big challenge within that. Well, process. in the end, it ended up being 18 drafts because after I, um, I decided I wanted to reshoot my ending. And so... Uh, uh, in post-production, uh, right before we did a test screening, I was granted the permission by the financiers. And so I had to then rewrite the ending. So it became 18 drafts. But absolutely, I wanted there to be no one homogenous view of Dido, response, reaction. And because I didn't want this to be a Cinderella story where Dido Bell is having to compel people to love her and and find her place in the household she goes into that household and frankly she's loved and that's what all of the history shows but we know it can't have been an easy it can't have been easy I was making a commercial movie to a large extent but it can't have been an easy ride and so Miranda Richardson's family Lady Ashford's family have to represent all these different ideas of her you know the mother who is cash money literally is the currency that she operates with literally and you know in many ways, Belle could be any colour if she has the money that will secure her son. You know, for um, Tom Felton's character, Tom Felton's character very much represents fear of chaos, a need for the rules, what will happen if change comes about. And, you know, for him, he's fighting the fact that he actually finds her beautiful because to find her beautiful would be to destabilise the status quo would be to destabilise those kind of families. And then there's the brother who just, I mean, genuinely is, he, he genuinely loves her, but he doesn't know how to love her. He doesn't know how to love her f for who she is rather than in spite of who she is. So I, I love them as a family. I mean, I think when you're working with these characters, you have to love them all. 
the good ones and the bad ones, mm. you know, and I do, I love them. It's like how actors will never sort of talk about their characters as villains. Yeah, you have to be the, your, the, the hero in your own story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's quite true. Important. I gather our lead actress, who is astonishing in this film, oh. was attached to this project for years and years and years and years. Seven is what I have here. Yes, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and no, in the sense that Damien... <laughs> Jones, my wonderful beloved producer, loves to give the script out to absolutely everybody all of the time. So, you know, first draft comes out and he'll start giving that script out. So Gugu and Barter Raw actually, yes, knew about the story before I even came on board mm-hmm. in the sense that she knew that Damien was trying to tell a story about Dido Bell's history. So she knew about that. She knew about the film as it was going through its various, the script as it was going through its various incarnations. And when and then she finally came to meet me I think it was 2009 or 2010 I'm trying to work it out when I came on board to kind of take over and and really sort of supplant my my vision on what I thought the story behind the painting would be now I knew her however having said that because she came to audition for me for a movie called Where Hands Touch which collapsed in 2009 it's a movie I've written and will direct um, due to the financial crisis and that will now be made in 2015 mm. so she, I met her and oh my god she walks into the room and I mean really stupidly because I couldn't think of anything else to say because her beauty is it's like show stopping I said my, my goodness aren't you cute as a button <laughs> and then I suddenly thought well God, imagine if I was a man and I'd said that. A male director as she walks into the room. She was very good to me, though. She didn't embarrass me. Um, And then she started reading for that role. And um, she was fantastic. So it is true that Damien and I always kept her abreast of what was happening. She was always... She read every single draft that I did. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Um, And she saw the story emerging. She's smart. Really smart. She knew what kind of story I wanted to tell. Um, And... I always say I think we made great partners in crime because it was a collaboration. You know, I was speaking to you guys earlier about when I was a kid um, and an actress doing Grain Chill. And for me, directors, producers, they were authority figures who told you what to do and you just did what they said. Whereas this was a collaboration and a trust. You know, she had a great trust in me, which is, you know, something that often takes time. You have to earn, particularly on your second film. Mm. But she had that trust, hopefully because she'd seen what I'd done with the scripts and that, that helped. Just say no. Do you remember your lyrics in Just Say No? Do you remember? And, Just and also, be who you are and stand up proud. You can hear me going, say no. Because I had to go, can I just tell you, back then I had such a good voice that after it was done, I had to go and do some additional recording with a couple of the other people that have good voices and just go over everybody else's voice. Wow. <laughs> had to do that with the album as well. And of course, Maluki Christie, who was Kevin, who did the wickedest, wickedest rap. Do you remember who, the rap? So what was it made you do it? You had no something. Was the first the taste, then the something. Duh, 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 duh. Knowing with your main man, you didn't really understand. After all you did for me, expected me to shake your hand. Just say no. <laughs> Just uh, say Maluki's it. listening to this. I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry, Maluki. I totally screwed up your rap, which he wrote himself. It was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I was both proud and embarrassed. I would love it. That time in my life. I would have loved it if Prince did a cover of that at the end of your your party for Belle. That would have made me so happy. Can I tell you something? The the the, the women 
Oh, Kate, I'm sorry, but I have to say this. The woman who runs Fox UK, Kate Gardner, told me the other night, Fox Searchlight UK, that is, and that they are the people distributing the film. She told me that was the first record she ever bought. <gasps> I know, I felt so proud. <laughs> I felt so proud. My first record, by the way, was Jamaica Funk. I just thought I'd get that out. That's how old I am. Okay. They were fun days. And of course, I learned so much that I bring to what I do today. Yeah. So, all important. And that ended with you touring the White House, didn't it? As a 16-year-old, yeah. a bunch of you got went out to America, yeah. Yankee Stadium, the White House. Yankee Stadium, where we performed Just Say No. I love telling my husband I've performed in Yankee Stadium. I don't think he believes me. He's Danish, has no concept of Grange Hill whatsoever, and I really think he doesn't believe me. And occasionally on Sunday, I go on YouTube and go, look, see, see, he's not impressed. It was the first time, really, that I did lots of this kind of thing that we're all doing now, where I sat and got interviewed and had to try and sound a bit intelligent. And uh, we so we did Washington and New York. It was my first time in, in the Big Apple and first time away from my parents. I know. So it was, um, trust me, and at 16, you didn't need to have a chaperone. So while the other 13, 14-year-olds would, would have to stay home in the evening, me and a couple of other 16-year-olds, we'd go out roaming. It was great fun. God, what an experience. It was an experience. It was an experience. Not even to be repeated in many ways, um, even in a podcast where you can say bastard, but we got up to lots of things and it was great. Is it true that you were working on the script for Belle on your wedding day? Yes, it's 100% true. So my stepdaughter was staying with me in what was going to be our honeymoon suite. My husband um, had been sent, he was staying at a different hotel and I was supposed to have delivered before we travelled to Paris. It was in Paris. But when you're putting your wedding together, you just, you get behind. And I was a little bit mortified because I hadn't really been a screenwriter that's usually behind on stuff. I thought, oh, well, I'll just carry on working into the night for a couple of nights and I'll get this finished. On the morning of my wedding day, I hadn't hadn't done it. I hadn't finished it. So I wrote to Damien Jones. I still have the email and said, Damien, it's like 4.05 in the morning. I'm trying. I've been working all night, but I'm getting married in a few hours. And please, can I deliver, you know, after I get married? And he's like, please go and get married. Um, <laughs> so I then went to sleep. Woke up and my stepdaughter said to me, you look horrible. Go back to sleep for some more hours and I will order you breakfast, you know, once you wake up. So I went back to sleep again. I did walk down the aisle with the biggest bags under my eyes and I did have to spend most of my honeymoon in Morocco completing that draft. And my husband has a photograph of me again at four in the morning going down to reception because it was the only place you could get a signal and pressing send so I could send the script. But it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty... Yeah. <laughs> That's professionalism. It was. That evening we got married, because we did get married in the evening in Paris. Up until last Thursday was the best moment of my life. You have now been usurped. <laughs> and Prince has taken your place. He has given me the best moment of my life. Like, I know you've got a plane to catch, uh, so we should probably let you go. I know, I'm going to sunny Scotland, to Schoon Palace, the home of where the painting of Dido Bell and Elizabeth Murray is hanging, and I'm excited. Wow, OK. Uh, is that the first time you've seen it in the canvas? No, I saw it. I saw it with my production designer and tough filmmakers that we are. We both burst into tears when we saw it. He with his six foot one self, Simon <laughs> Bowles, who loves it when I call him my gorgeous Simon Bowles, which he is. Yeah, it's luminous. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's everything I hoped it would be in many ways. And you know, the great thing about great art, not to get too arsy, if I can say that, is that it inspires and it evokes. Yeah. And that's exactly what it did for me with this film. It inspired me. And it evoked emotions in me 
that allowed me to be able to make this film. And so, you know, I will go and see it again. Yeah, I can't wait for it to also come back down to London. So, mm. so that, you know, it can be in Kenwood House for a while again as well. What, with you tomorrow? Yes, <laughs> under my arm. Under your arm. On EasyJet. Everyone listen to this, do go and Google it because it is truly an amazing picture. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to see us in our in our very own offices. We've given you, given you a copy of Heat, so enjoy that for the plane I'm ride. I'm going to enjoy that for my plane ride. Um, I love it. Heat is, it's, it's the quintessential magazine that has to come with me on a plane ride. Mm. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, okay. let's start this week's reviews with Bell. We've uh, drafted in Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrence to give their verdicts on the week's films as well. Of, no, no, we haven't. Apparently, we've done the budget. Uh, we'll have to make do with the usual crew then. So, Ali, start us off on Bell, please. Okay, sure. So, as you've heard from the uh, interview you've just enjoyed, well done for enjoying it, this is a historical <laughs> fiction, essentially. So, it's not about... It's very spiky today, isn't it? Uh, hedgehog, yeah. It's a historical fiction, so it's not actually about what necessarily occurred. So before you go, oh, wow, did that really happen? No, for the most part, it didn't. It's the story of this... <laughs> what? Well, it, it, it's, it is sort of grounded in history. It's it? grounded in history, but, like, the actual occurrences, yeah, the you marry so-and-so and lovers, oh, right, okay. whatever. It's historical fiction. So there was this mixed-race girl who was born uh, to a admiral in the British Navy who was brought into his... Uh, uncle's house who happened to be the Lord Chief Justice this was in 1779 I think around about that period and she becomes part of their home part of their family she can't have dinner with her family publicly and she is somewhat removed from the rest of her community but she's by and large within her own family and small world loved and happy and it's a real rarity the dramatic coincidence is that the Lord Chief Justice has to decide a very important case where I was about to say Zorg is not the right word, but it was the Zong disaster, essentially, or the, the, the Zong incident where a slave ship was travelling to America and they'd, they'd made some bad decisions in, in where they were going and had run out of water. And what they decided to do was take the slaves on board the ship and throw them overboard because they thought they could get the insurance money back. Whereas if they'd just carried on and these diseased slaves had, had got to America, they couldn't have sold them for as much money, which is awful and horrible and just... It's terrible, but he has to preside over whether that is actually fraud. Their cost of their lives are truly mm. worth a human's life, that sort of thing. So that's going on, and you know this guy has to preside over that case whilst he has a mixed-race adopted daughter, essentially, in his life. Gugu Mbatha-Raw plays uh, Belle, this beautiful, she's absolutely knock-your-socks-off beautiful um, girl who treads a fine line between wanting to remove this social impediment and be herself and be true to who she is through essentially her father dying at sea it happens early on uh, she inherits wealth and then suddenly the likes of tom felton and other young men in her in her society take an interest in her because it's all about horse trading and who are you marrying and what's going on so she does a very fine job i think it's a very handsome beautiful well-directed somewhat modest period piece that deals with some difficult topics in an approachable and quite commercial way I should say it did quite well in the US and I hope it does well in the UK too uh, Ama Asante is lovely as, as you've just heard and I wish her the very very best and I hope she goes on to do other great things mm. this for my money succeeds at what it wants to do it wants to talk about some difficult topics in an approachable way but doesn't necessarily go too deep um, or really 
come head to head with a very very difficult topic uh, not just slavery which doesn't it doesn't just concentrate on but the kind of Jane Austeniness of society in that time great supporting cast all round uh, Miranda Richardson Tom Wilkinson I mean the list goes on and on it's mm. I don't think there's anybody's really a weak point but yeah it doesn't fully connect with me but um, shows a lot of promise and has a very good few things to say yeah I mean I agree I, I we've given it three stars and I would probably go along with that I thought it was, it's very it's a very handsome film and it's a very heartfelt film and it's got a lot of and, and, and a, a real star making turn I think for um, Gugu and Bathoraw um, it's really incredibly charismatic and magnetic on screen um, and I think a lot of people can enjoy it I, I pitched I mean it's very reductive but it's sort of got elements of Jane Austen em, elements of Amistad they, they sometimes gel slightly awkwardly um, around the kind of key law case but uh, it's, a, it's a lovely period piece and if that's your sort of thing I'd definitely recommend it yes I think that's fair if you're into this sort of affair you will not be disappointed it's it's it delivers and um, it's very touching at times there are there are certainly scenes which really um, get you uh, so yeah you look forward to it I, I would happily go take my mum to go and see this I know that sounds a little bit like oh we, you know we what a compliment but I really would and I think you, you have a, a good conversation about it afterwards okay so it's uh, three stars for Bell which is a recommendation as we always say on the podcast very very handsome lavishly mounted British film do go along if you can and uh, show it your support uh, next up is uh, T.S. Spivet what are our thoughts on this one Phil Cat? Well, we talked about uh, directors that we feel like had their best work ahead of them last week on the podcast, and I, I suspect this might be a director whose potentially his best work may be behind him. You sus- and on the basis of his last few films, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, yeah. doesn't look like he's got necessarily another Delicatessen or another Amelie in him. One of those, they, even Amelie, which I think people see as quite a sort of candied fairy tale story, has some, some sharp edges. This is a film that is very much a, a sort of smooth, rounded thing that you can glide over. Um, it, it's a story basically it's kind of a coming of age tale for this for this young kid and he's very endearing they kind of I think it's is it Wyoming or, or somewhere in the Midwest Montana, Montana yeah the, the old west basically the frontier but it's set in contemporary times and he lives there with his mum Helena Bonham Carter his father who's like uh, a the vestige of the old west he wants to be a, he still wants to be a cowboy and the world's moved on um, and that, that, the film sort of taps into that a little bit—the idea that you know the world, the world moves apace, and you have to try and try and find your place in it. And this kid, sure enough, is a some kind of prodigy. He's a he's an inventor and a, some is a sort of little genius, really. And he wins an, a prestigious award in Washington. His parents won't let him go, so he sets off across country, planes, trains, and automobiles style to get to the uh, to get to the award prize giving. And I don't want to go any further into the story than that, because it, it, it is a sort of a discovery tale. The things I really liked about it, it has that Jeunet inventiveness. He has a real sort of lightness of touch about, you know, creating the production design and the little, the way that he sort of pieces the frame together with, stitches them together with, I mean, something Guillermo del Toro does very, very well as well, with sort of inventions and, and Heath, Heath Robinson, I almost said Heath Ledger, Heath <laughs> Robinson sort of touches. Um, and I, I always love that. And I like the way, you know, the, the cleverness of the sort of opening credits and, and the way that he establishes the world. But I think as a coming of age story about a kid, it's no stand by me, really. It's not got that kind of emotional core to it. And, and, and our reviewer makes that point, really, that it probably falls down on the emotion and, and the ending 
thing I didn't think worked all that brilliantly. Uh, we gave it three stars. Mm. I, I mean, it is very pleasant, I should say that, and it looks spectacular. The, the, the shots of the American scenery as he sort of travels cross-country cross are absolutely astonishing. And, and the kid himself, uh, Kyle Catlett, who plays T.S. Vivit, is wonderful. I think he's really, really good. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a role that actually asks quite a lot of him. And he's a little bit younger, as, as you heard probably in the interview. Uh, Jeunet was looking for someone you know, a bit older and a bit more kind of robust. And, and this guy, this kid just won him over with sheer talent, which is Yeah, which is he is good. Uh, there's a lot of things to like about this film. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of things that perhaps don't work quite so well. And I hope Janae, you know, maybe he, he just needs that that story or that, mm. that, that script. And maybe he does have a real sort of another masterpiece in him. But this probably isn't it. Yeah. Do you think he's turning into a bit of a Janae Man director? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just won the podcast for that, my friend. No, that's it. We'll just wrap up. We won't even bother discussing the next film because we can't top that. Um, as you were, we've left. We've left. Everyone's left. Just, just press stop. Ali. <laughs> just, He's retired. Um, <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. yeah, three stars for T.S. Pivot, which was originally titled... The Young and Prodigious T.S. Pivot. The Young Pivot. and Prodigious T.S. Pivot. I can see why they dropped that. Okay, T.S. Pivot. Uh, and now, next, grab a sofa. <laughs> Don't grab a sofa, grab a cushion from a sofa and hide behind it for we have the scary film Oculus which stars Karen Gillan of Doctor Who fame as a young woman determined to prove Mirror is haunted. <laughs> it was a huge hit in the States. Uh, will it fare equally well here? Helen, the think, Karen Gillan of this podcast. Oh, thank you. I think it deserves to, certainly. Wait, do you mean my hair is falling out? Uh, anyway, yes, this is the story of... It's a brother and sister story, really. So Karen Gillan is the older uh, girl... And Brenton Thwaites, who you may recently have seen in Maleficent as the sort of Prince Philip character, uh, is her younger brother. Uh, now, about 10 years before this starts, uh, there was a tragedy in their home. Their parents both died. Mm -hmm. Since then, he's basically been in therapy, being told that you just imagined all this crazy stuff. What happened was very, very sad, but basically it was a family tragedy. She, however, um, was just, you know, grew up and has gotten a job in an, in an auction house and has sort of apparently been dealing with it. But when he emerges from his, uh, from his long years in therapy, discovers that she's still obsessed with it and is determined to go back to the house, confront this evil once and for all. Mm -hmm. Kind of unfolds in, in sort of in both time frames, really, because you go back to see what happens, um, in, you know, years before um, with the younger versions of these two, Annalise Basso and Garrett Ryland played the young versions of their characters and they are phenomenal um, and also what happened then with their parents um, and it's it's really pretty creepy unsettling stuff it gets under your skin there are a couple of really kind of um, gory moments well yeah gory moments mm -hmm. but a lot more emphasis on sort of traditional scares a lot more emphasis on kind of you know real kind of horror mainstream stuff mm -hmm. but done exceptionally well it's not just sort of jump scares for the sake of jump scares mm -hmm. um and it, it kind of gets under your skin here and i think there are some surprises here as this as this goes up forward it also has some of the best use of flashbacks that i have ever seen um, it's really, really well done in that case. And I think director Mike Flanagan um, is one to watch. This was made on a fairly low budget. I think if somebody mm. gives him some money, he's going to, he's going to, you know, shake things up. Absolutely. 22 jump scares. <laughs> he, he built this uh, on the back of uh, a short he did, which is called Oculus Chapter 3, The Man with the Plan, mm. uh, which is available. You can see that if you're curious. I'm not a big horror buff, but having watched this film, I can heartily recommend it. It is unflinching and um, edgy and a bit dirty, and I kind of liked it. And 
it, it, Karen Gillard's fantastic. She does the best American accent. I, yeah. I, you think a lot of people who've been in Doctor Who go on to do kind of a bit of nothing and then occasionally would appear on, you know, Strictly Come Dancing a few years later, but not her. And she's really hopefully going to go really far. She's got this uh, new American TV show coming out, uh, which she w- got put to series, which scares the heck out of me and for different reasons to Oculus. <laughs> but it's called Selfie and it's about this self obsessed young girl in America. So that's doing well. There's uh, a lengthy interview with her. Uh, I managed to talk to her for a little while and wrote it all down because she's thoroughly, delightfully bonkers. And to hear her pitch uh, what the British version of Barbie should look like and be called, you can go there. You can go there. It's on the website, on the homepage. Go check it out. Fantastic. Uh, so uh, four stars then. Four stars, definitely. Four stars for Oculus uh, in many ways. The film of the week, Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess. Fantastic. Uh, also out this week is Adam McGoyan's Devil's Knot, which stars Colin Firth and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, and it's two stars for that, which is another disappointment for Adam McGoyan. His most recent film, The Captive, did not go down well. Uh, Road is about the Northwest 200, the motorcycle race, the legendary motorcycle race, and the incredible legacy of the Northern Irish Dunlop family, including the magnificent uh, and... Uh, late and lamented Joey Dunlop and uh, now in the wings on the world stage uh, takes you behind the scenes of Kevin Spacey's uh, Richard III production which played at the Old Fic and then around the world for 10 months uh, back in 2011 and uh, both of those are are fine uh, okay documentaries especially if you're interested in the subject matter Uh, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast join us next week for more formulated fun where we'll be joined by John Favreau director of Chef and Ansel Elgort the young star of the phenomenon that is The Fault in Our Stars until then it's goodbye from Helen toodaloo It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to find Dave Spikey and paint him blue. See you next week. Bye.